Uh, if you know me, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that I do not like the dark. This goes back to, I think when I was a kid, I shared a room with my brother and uh, one of his favorite things to listen to was the Phantom of the Opera. And so many times we would go to sleep with the music from the Phantom of the Opera playing and it, it used to freak me out as kind of scary music. And I, I just never have really liked the dark. And uh, a couple of years ago, I went to visit my uncle Daryl up in East Texas and uh, we were staying at his house. He lives out on this massive ranch and uh, and I had to go out to the to the car one night, and as I was going out there, you know, of course, out in the country, away from all the city lights, and it was really, really dark outside. And so, as I was going to the van, I was scanning the horizon, looking around to see, you know, make sure there wasn't a lion or anything like that that was going to come out and give me. So I, I went and got whatever I was getting from the car, and as I was turning around going to his house, the dogs on the back porch started, you know, started making quite a commotion and barking and things like that. And so I kind of ran to get to the house and. But, you know, when I got inside, I acted all cool about it, like, you know, it didn't bother me. And sometime later, I think a few months later, I was with Uncle Daryl, and he was talking about on his farm there, that down by the river there had been, a, I think he said, a black panther down there. And I just thought, thank God he didn't tell me that before I walked to that car, because I would have never walked to the car that night. I've never liked the dark. In fact, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today. Years ago, I went hiking in Yosemite. And as you drive into Yosemite down in the, in the valley of the, on the valley floor as you're going into the park, they, there are signs that tell you don't feed the bears, don't, don't leave any kind of food or anything in your car or in your tent or anything like that because the bears will be drawn to the scent. And so they're, right there there's this huge sign and it's mangled up car doors there and there's a picture of a bear that actually tore that door off of a car. I mean, it was just incredible to see uh, as you're walking along at certain points there in Yosemite, you'd also see signs that would say that this is an area where they've seen mountain lions and, and it would say, keep your small children close. And I thought, man, what in the world is going on? And so we were there to uh, do some hiking in the backcountry, And so we were out, just me and my brother-in-law and his brother out in this beautiful area. And we were setting up our tent that night. And every single twig, I'm telling you, that I heard break in the middle of the night I just was certain that it was going to be a bear coming and attack and wanted to just stand up and scream and make noise so it wouldn't come I mean I I just don't like the dark it to me bad things happen in the dark when I was a youth pastor I used to tell the kids at lock-ins and everything stay in the light bad things happen in the dark and and recently my family and I were, were driving to the Grand Canyon and I'll share a little bit more about this story later but as we were driving Leslie was on her phone and she was looking up different sites that we could see along the way and she found a place that seemed really interesting it's called the cosmic campground international dark sky sanctuary and what's unique about this particular area is that it is 40 miles away from artificial light and so many who like to go stargazing will actually find this place to be kind of their mecca they go there they don't allow your headlights they don't allow anything like that after a certain amount of time so that your eyes will be completely adjusted to the darkness but when, you, when it's so great, when the darkness is so great, apparently the sky, the sky is just lit up with all the stars. You can see the Milky Way uh, very plainly. And so she was really wanting to do that, but with our schedule, we couldn't do it. But the principle of that, that place is that you go there to see the light because of the great darkness. Because when the darkness is great, the light shines brighter. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus made an incredible statement about our lives. For those of us who are followers of Christ, he said this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. 
In the same way, let your light so shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus in that passage made a bold claim about us as Christians. He calls us the light of the world. And then he commands us just a couple of verses later to let our lights shine before others. In fact, he, he said something that seems contradictory to what's said in other points. He, he said to let your light shine before others. Let them see your good works. And yet at the same time, he's telling us when we do work for God that we should do it in private. But the idea that Jesus is saying is simply this. Let people see your good works so that then they may give glory to God the Father. Every child of God is called to be the light. Be the light in your home. Be the light in your community. Be the light in your workplace. Be the light among your friends. Be the light and shine the light on social media. Shine the light. And Jesus reminds us of this very important thing. He tells us, you are the light of the world. We're, we're like a candle that's put on a candle stand to give light to everyone in the house. And to let our light shine, let people see our good works. But this is so important. That when we do our good works for God and when other people see our works, it's not so that we receive the praise. It's so that all the glory is reflected back to God. We've been studying through the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, in the passage that we're going to study today, Paul makes a very similar statement. I want you to notice it beginning in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Those three verses that we just read are actually one sentence. If you look at it from beginning to end, there are a few commas that kind of break up certain points, but that actually makes up one statement. And I think that all of us need that reminder today that we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked generation. And the darkness today is great. Not only are we facing this coronavirus and not knowing when to open things up and so much uncertainty and we hear the stories about people dying people losing their jobs the unemployment numbers that were just released this week have been staggering to see that there there are a lot of people who are really suffering and not just that darkness we're not just to shine light in that darkness but we live in a very dark time morally where people that are things that used to be wrong are now called right and vice versa and Jesus reminds us, Paul reminds us, that we are the light of the world and we are to shine as lights in this darkness. And today I want to actually spend our time studying the depths of this one statement in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. But before we get there, I want to go back and read just a couple of verses prior to that to kind of give us some context. Notice in verse 12 that Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not, all, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So he's saying to them, as you have always obeyed, not only when I was there, but now that we're apart, he encourages them to continue obeying. But notice this phrase, work out your salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
I want you to notice the first word of verse 12. You'll find this pretty commonly in Paul's writing. It's the word, therefore. And Paul reminds us in verse 12 that everything that he's about to say is linked to everything that he has already said in chapter 2. And if you were with us last week, you remember that in the early part of chapter 2, Paul's theme was unity. And that in order for there to be unity in the body of Christ, we must all humble ourselves in the same way that Christ did when he came to the earth. And so Paul says, in light of that call of God to be unified, to live humble lives that live sincerely and love sincerely, and to live as Christ lived, Paul said, therefore, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And our understanding of this phrase, I think, gives us the key to understanding the one statement that Paul made in verses 14 through 16. But before we look at what Paul said here, I want you to notice something very important. I want you to notice what Paul didn't say. He did not say, work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is writing, if you remember in chapter 1, he's writing to the saints at Philippi. That's a reference to Christians. And so this letter is written to those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And he tells them not to work for their salvation, but to work out their salvation. Because Paul had already written other letters when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul also wrote in Titus 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 5, that Jesus, that God has saved us, not because of works that we have done in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, we don't work for our salvation. Jesus did all the work for us when he died on the cross for our sins and proved his power over death through his victorious resurrection. You remember in John chapter 19 that on the cross, when the sacrifice that Jesus had to make was made on the cross and the work that God had sent him to do was completed, Jesus uttered those three words in the English language, it is finished. The work for our salvation is already done. Jesus did that for us on the cross. So let me ask you, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Or would you say that that's something that you're still working on? I talk to people about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved and have a relationship with God. And many of them will say that, yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah, I try to do more good than I do bad. But may I ask you this, if you're trying to work to earn your salvation, if you're trying to work for your salvation, what do you need to add to the cross of Jesus? Or let's, let's ask it another way. If there's something that you could do to earn your salvation, what part of the cross of Jesus was insufficient to pay for your sins? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Peter wrote, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. And he said this, By his wounds you have been healed. Our salvation is not found in working for our salvation. It is found in placing our faith in the finished work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And I, I found that when people are trying to work out their salvation, they're often fearful. And they face death and they face life with uncertainty and with fear. They're hoping that they've done enough good things to pay for all the wrong that they've done. 
No one has to be convinced that we're sinners. We all know that that's true. You don't have to convince me, and I know that I don't have to convince you. We have all sinned before God, but if you are listening today and you are trying to work out, excuse me, to work for your salvation, there's a certain uh, amount of fear that comes with that. But I want to tell you today that you can have peace with God. That fear can be completely removed. And all you have to do in your heart is believe exactly what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And on the cross, Jesus died not for his sins, but for yours. And on the cross, he finished the work that you needed to be done. Jesus has already done it all for you. And so if you're listening today and you have fear in your heart about your relationship with God, I want to encourage you today. Find peace with God by placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, if you're maybe fearful of what your relationship with God looks like, or maybe you're uncertain about it, would you maybe in the comment section or, or maybe even uh, in, by sending us a message, would you just type the words, it is finished? If you've been living in fear because you don't know about what it means to have a relationship with God or you're not certain about your relationship with God, today I want to encourage you, stop working for your salvation. Stop trying to earn it. You will never earn it. But Jesus Christ has done it all for you. And if you have questions about that or maybe you're still fearful about a relationship with God, would you just type those words, it is finished? We'd love to reach out to you and just have a conversation with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we don't work for our salvation, but Paul does call us in verses 12 and 13 to work out our salvation. That phrase, it means to continually work to bring to fulfillment. So with our kids being at home because of the coronavirus, I'm, I'm apparently the math tutor of our family. And so Luke has been taking his math class and we work out equations and it might be something like 2x plus 5 divided by 3x minus 2 equals 30. And so I've tried to help him understand, you know, what it means. You have to follow the order of operations and you're trying to isolate the X if you're trying to figure out X. And so there are all these different steps that you have to go through and you might have to multiply or divide. You might have to subtract or add, but you keep working and line after line, you keep reducing it down till eventually you get on one side X and then the other side is what X equals. And that's the idea. The, the idea is to keep working it out. You don't stop. You keep working and you keep doing what's necessary until you can get the X on the right side and you can come up with the right answer. After last week's uh, message, I had a few people text me and said, hey man, what happened to your hand? Because they noticed I had a few uh, sores on my hand and I told them, no, things have not gotten that bad in the coronavirus that I'm hitting the wall or anything like that. But we had an issue in our house. Our, our bathroom faucet was, had a slow leak. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll go fix this. I can do this. And so, of course, I looked it up on YouTube and kind of followed some of the instructions. And I needed to replace the cartridge in the hot water side. So I took it apart, pulled the cartridge out, uh, went down to Lowe's to try to find it. They didn't, they didn't carry it and told me I had to call a plumber, I mean, a plumbing company, plumbing supply company. So I did. I called them up. They weren't taking people in the store. And so they had me send them pictures. I had to talk to an expert. They didn't have it, couldn't locate it. So long story, I ended up going to Home Depot and I bought a new faucet. So I started putting that faucet in, hooked the lines up, turned the water on, and I had a slow leak out of the hot water. So I had to take that one off and figure out what was going on there. Finally got the hot water one done. And this is a true story. The, the time that I got that one fixed, all of a sudden now I had a slow leak 
in the cold water side. So I went to Ace Hardware, I went to Lowe's, I went back to Ace, I you know, cut pipes, I did all this stuff. And so I kept having to turn the pipes and every time I did, the backside of the wood was scraping on my hand. That's where I got the sores from. And you can ask my wife, I mean, there were many times in there, I've joked about it, that there are a few things in my life that will test my walk with Jesus. One of those is golf. And now I've added, adding or uh, installing uh, a faucet for your tub. I'm telling you, man, that thing tested my patience. And so I finally went down after like the fifth trip to, to Ace Hardware, got some more advice, got another uh, O-ring that I was going to try. I put it on and still had a slow re uh, leak. And finally, I just said, I'm done. I'm done with it. I called a plumber out and I kid you not, that man came out and in five minutes did what it took me about five days in the evening to try to finish. It was crazy. But the idea is to work out the problem to its end. To work out our salvation is similar. Keep working on your salvation to bring it to its end. And what is the end of our salvation? I want to throw out this theological word that maybe you've heard of before. It's the word sanctification. Our salvation in Christ happens in a moment. The moment that you and your heart place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and place your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that's the moment that God saves you from your sin. For the rest of our lives, we are to work out that salvation. And the word that we use for that is sanctification. Salvation is a moment and sanctification is a process. And Paul in these verses gives us a few keys to working out our salvation, to our own sanctification. It, that, that word sanctification, it means to be set apart and to move toward becoming something else or for a special purpose. Notice in verse 12, the first key to our sanctification, and it's the word obedience. He, he says to them there in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, if you have, as you have always obeyed, obedience is our responsibility as children of God, we have the responsibility to live our lives in obedience to what God has said in his word. The second key is verse 13, and that is to know the end of your salvation. Know what the goal is when it talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Notice in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in our lives to do whatever it is that he wants to do with us. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on the New Testament said this, God must work in us before God can work through us. And God is always at work in our lives. And God's work in the earth is always the same. It is to draw people into a relationship with himself. So God is at work in your life and in mine always to bring people closer to him. Whether it's you to walk closer in fellowship with him or it's through your life to shine the light to those who are without Christ to draw them into a relationship with God. And notice in verse 14 what Paul says. The end of our salvation is not only that God is at work in us to bring others to Christ. Notice in verse 14. Do all things without grumblings or disputings, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I want to focus for just a moment on that phrase when he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The language of this phrase, it carries the idea to that we are called to be blameless and innocent as children of God are. Growing up, I won't use their names, but we had some neighbors, and I'll change the last name just uh, out of respect. We had some people in our neighborhood that had quite a reputation, and they had a reputation for being kind of rough, and they did some small petty crimes, and they were kind of bullies, and many of the parents were uh, dealt with alcoholism and drugs. And, and uh, among the neighborhood, we had this phrase, oh, well, those are the Smith kids. That's not their name, but we'd say, well, th those are the Smith kids. And when people would, would use that phrase, you knew exactly what it meant. Oh, well, that means that they're kind of rough, and that, that explains the bad behavior. They're just Smith kids. When my kids are going somewhere from our house, maybe going to visit a friend down the street or whatever it may be, we always tell them that we expect you to act in a certain way and to, to be respectful and to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and to respect their property because when people talk about our family, I want that, that name to have a good connotation when people say, well, that, that's the Pollard kids. I don't want that to be known for the wrong things. I want that to be known for the right things. I've shared this story before, but uh, when Luke was a kid in the nursery, we would pick him up from the nursery at our church, and sometimes the, we would ask the leaders, well, how, how was he? And they would say to us, oh, well, he's all boy. And I used to think, man, that's really cool. I, I want my kids to be known as all boy. I mean, they're, you know, they're into trucks and manly stuff, right? Well, come to find out later in a staff meeting, much, much later down the road, one of our staff members was sharing that when his son was a kid, people would tell him that, well, he's all boy. And he said, and really all they're saying is, well, your kid is a brat. I'm like, what are you talking about that my kid's a brat? I thought that the phrase meant that he's all boy, that everything is all great. And it bothered me because I thought that's not, that's not exactly how I want my kids to be thought of. And, and what God is saying here is in a dark culture, children of God should be working out their salvation in faithful obedience to God, living in unity in the body of Christ, walking in humility so that people know immediately when they look at your life, that person is a child of God. Notice the words that he uses here that we should be blameless. That means a life that can't be criticized by sin or because of sin. Think about this for just a moment. If you told someone that you were a Christian, what would their response be? Really, what would their response be? Would they be surprised? Would they be shocked? Hopefully that's not the case. It should be obvious to people that we are followers of Jesus Christ. It, not, it shouldn't be something that is masked by a lifestyle or a life that is different than what we say we are. Our faith should be obvious by the way that we live. We should be living blameless lives, lives where people can't look at us and say, yeah, they say they're a Christian, but their life is characterized by this, by sin. Another word that he uses is the word innocent. It means pure and untarnished. In our family, we don't use certain words, and so our kids will say it and we'll correct them on it very early on. And, and then when, when a, a show comes on the TV, then someone on the show will say that. And our, our big statement is, oh, we don't say that around here. The idea is that we want our children to live pure and untarnished lives. We want to go above and beyond to make sure that the way that our kids speak is indicative that Christ lives in our hearts and that he is the Lord of our lives, that we're not just believers in Christ, but we are followers of Jesus Christ. The end of our, our sanctification is simply this not becoming a better version of ourselves, but it is becoming more 
like Jesus. When Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he is not saying work it out in such a way so that you become a better version of you. What he's saying is work on your sanctification, your salvation, and go to its end. And that end is not to be more like yourself or to be a better version of yourself. It is to be more like Jesus in the way that we live. When my family went to the Grand Canyon, one of the evenings we were there on the western side, of, or southern rim, but the western part of it, we had the opportunity at one of the lookouts to stand there as the sun was setting, and it just painted a beautiful picture on the, on the canyon. But then we saw the moon rising, and it was huge, and it was beautiful, and I was trying to capture it with my camera, just couldn't do it justice. But it was so incredible. As the moon was coming up, it was, it was shedding light to the canyon and on the clouds, and it painted this amazing beautiful picture but standing there it actually made me think of my life in Christ I'd heard someone share this some time ago and it's so true Paul calls us in this passage to shine as a child of God in as light in the midst of all the darkness around us that's what we're called to do to shine as lights in this dark and twisted culture but what is the source of that light what is the source of the light that we're to shine it's not you. It's not me. It's God. You see, the moon doesn't have light in and of itself. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. And so when you see the moon and it's shining in all of its brilliance and standing there, I thought, why are we giving glory to that? Really, it, it, it goes to the sun because that is the source of the light. And you see, the greater the darkness, the greater the opportunity for us to shine the light, not of our lives, but the light of Jesus Christ who lives in us. So Paul is saying that we're to shine as lights in this world. In verse 12, to live in obedience. Because in verse 13, God is at work in you so that he can work through you to do as he pleases. And that is always to bring people to himself. We're to live in humility and work within the church in verse 14 without grumbling or complaining, but to live in unity and to live a life that is not characterized or criticized because of sin. We're to live pure and untarnished lives as we should as children of God. And, and when we do those things, when those things are evidence in our lives, then we are doing exactly what Paul says, and that is shining among the darkness. And in verse 16, Paul says something else, that we are to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul encourages them to hold fast to the word of life, to hold fast to the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we live in obedience, as we live in humility, as we, we live lives of purity and that are untarnished from the world, we cling tightly to the word of God and the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might reflect the glory of God and shine the light in our difficult and very dark culture, holding fast to the word of Christ. The goal of your sanctification, the end of your salvation that you're working out, is not becoming a better version of yourself. It's becoming more like Jesus. I read an article today in the Twin Cities Pioneer Press, and I want to share a little bit of the story with you. It, about 110 years ago, in November 28, 1905, it was a Saturday, 
And a terrible storm came up on Lake Superior with winds, uh, 70 mile an hour winds, and there were incredible tragedies that happened on the water. It just came really out of nowhere. And the squall lines were very powerful. But in the, in the story, they told the, the story of one of the boats called the Madeira. And the Madeira was basically disabled out on the water. And, and the article said this, quote, The Madeira drifted blindly in the storm until crashing against the cliffs at Gold Rock Point, in sight of the cliff where Split Rock Lighthouse later would be built. Quote, With the force of a cannon shot, the forward end repeatedly struck the almost perpendicular cliff. A towering wall of rock confronted the desperate men whose minds became active with the realization of impending death, the News Tribune reported two days after the event. One of the nine crewmen managed to leap from the bow of the ship to catch hold of the rocks and the trees, and he hauled a rope to the top of the cliff. Seven others followed and eventually reached safely, but one man was washed overboard and drowned. The Madeira was torn to pieces and its sunken remains are now a draw for divers. What I found interesting about that story is the one statement when it said that the ship actually uh, rammed into the rocks and was shipwrecked at Gold Rock Point inside of the cliff where Split Rock Lighthouse later would be built. They had no idea where they were going. And a lighthouse would have shown them that the shoreline was near. So many people in our lives are like that man in that ship. They're being battered and they're drowning. And what the world needs is not another consumer Christian. I've talked about this and the coronavirus and what has happened in our lives. And I have to tell you, I don't want things to go back to normal. Yes, I want to be working and I want to see my people and I want to be able to hug and embrace and all of those things. But I have no desire to go back to a consumer-driven mindset when it comes to our Christianity. We are called to be sincere followers of Jesus Christ who are shining the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness all around us. There are so many people who are drowning. They are adrift. And right now, the storms of life have beat them down. And what they need from you is for you to shine the light of Christ to them. That might mean that you need to text them and just check on them and say, Hey, how are you doing? It might mean a phone call or a message. It might mean an act of service. I was overwhelmed this week. My brother texted me about some people in his apartment complex that were just feeling overwhelmed. Many of them had lost jobs. Many of them were hourly employees that because of the shutdown just had no way to provide for their family. And he asked me, will you pray for them? And I, I told him, of course, that I would. And then I, I made an offer of something. Many of you know I have a barbecue a catering business that I've done for some time to be able to give to bless others. And so we did a few events recently, and we had uh, some resources. And so we put together over 70 barbecue sandwiches and delivered those to the apartment complex. And Sam and his, his roommate, Matt and Sabby, they went and delivered the barbecue sandwiches to the apartments and went there and just said, hey, we want to share with you uh, these sandwiches. And many of them had the opportunity to pray. In fact, from that, a Bible study is going to be started in that apartment. It was really a, a cool moment. But one of the young ladies who received that, they looked up our business on Facebook and, and, and wrote a message. I want to read a part of it. She said this, I'm a single mom of three. Sometimes I struggle with getting up and preparing a meal for these kids. Sometimes I feel defeated with this COVID-19 stuff along with the financial woes. Well, someone knocked on my door today with pulled pork barbecue sandwiches. And let me tell you, my kids were so happy and it gave me so much to be thankful for. 
Thank you so much. God is good. God bless. So I reached out to this young lady and just told her that it made my day to hear that because we didn't know exactly how it would impact people to just do one small act of, of kindness like that. And I just told her that, that we're praying for her and that if she needs anything to reach out. And she wrote back this, you really made my heart beat again. I know God hears my prayers. And well, he delivered right to my door. Thank you so much for your touching, genuine generosity. Sincerely from my family, thank you. And God bless. And I share that with you, not in any way to brag on me. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But there was a lady that I had never met before. That before that day and before God had put it upon the heart of my brother and my heart to do this small act of kindness, that God opened up an opportunity to talk to them about a relationship with God and about peace in the midst of this turmoil. And I'm going to be carrying on that dialogue with this young lady. But my point is this, is that there are people around us who are hurting. And what they need is they need you and me to shine as lights in the darkness. To work out our salvation with awe and reverence for God. To live in obedience to him. To hold fast to the word of life. To live pure lives and blameless lives before those around us. And to share with people the light of Jesus Christ that lives inside of us. So today I'd like to do what we've been doing the past few weeks. I'd like to just pray this passage over us. So if you would just join me for a time of prayer, I'll pray this passage over our lives. Father, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross for us. We thank you, God, today that we don't have to work for our salvation, that our salvation has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But help us, God, as your children, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to live lives of faithful obedience to you. Help us to live in awe and in reverence of you. Remind us again, Lord, that you are working in us so that you can work through us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And so we humbly bow before you today, God, and we say whatever you want to do with our lives, we are your servants, Lord. And help us to live in unity and to do all things without grumbling or disputing in the church. To be blameless and innocent, known as the children of God by the way that we live. And help us to shine as lights in this world. To hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, we might stand before you and you would say of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Help us to shine, Lord. Give us opportunities. And when those opportunities come, Lord, help us to step through the doors and to shine the light of Jesus Christ to those around us. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.